0: If you would, please take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Uh, There's a typo on the front cover of the bulletin. It says Isaiah 23. You spend enough time in Isaiah and it just becomes a habit, right? So um, Psalm 23, the right scripture passage is there on the inside cover of your bulletin if you want to follow along that way. If you don't have a Bible with you for any reason. And... um, We'll be back in Isaiah in a few months. We'll be in the Psalms for the summer. I looked at the list of passages. Nobody had picked Psalm 23. There's a couple TBDs in there. So hopefully nobody uh, who's preaching over the summer was, was angling for this one. So without further ado, let's read familiar, wonderful words that many of you know by heart. Hear God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. A Psalm of David. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Thus ends the reading of God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Let's ask his blessing as we consider his word. Let's pray. O heavenly Father, our great shepherd, Shepherd, like a Savior, lead us. Much, we need thy gentle care. That goes for right now, that goes for tomorrow, that goes for all of our days. So be with us and help us to hear your good word to us. We pray all this in Jesus' great name. Amen. Although my memory's fading, I remember two things. That I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. If you watch the movie about William Wilberforce, you'll see John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, saying that to Wilberforce. Right after, Newton urges Wilberforce to fight for the abolition of slavery in England. After Newton recounts his history as a slave trader. I almost titled this sermon, Why It's Great to Be a Christian in Colorado Springs. Instead, I chose Why It's Great to Be at Forest Gate. I'm a Preacher, I like alliteration and rhymes and all that fun stuff, forgive me. But if I only had one reason why it's great to be at Forest Gate, if I only had one, and if that reason was what Newton said, I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior, then that should be enough, right? Enough to say, yes, it is great to be at Forest Gate. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. And if that's not enough, well, you're not going to like this sermon. Sorry. We have a great Savior, a great Shepherd, and He has given us amazing, overflowing grace. I think we can see that grace in our church, in our lives. My points this morning are quotes or allusions from amazing grace. I'll mention Psalm 23 along the way as well. This is the state of the church sermon, I do it once a year, it's usually closer to the congregational meeting, but uh, on that note, my old professor, Derek Thomas, used to say, with his dry British, or excuse me, Welsh, he would insist, Welsh humor, he would say, once a year, preach a topical sermon, and then repent immediately, So, so here we go. Why is it great to be at Forest Gate in 2022? First up, because His grace has brought us safe thus far. His grace has brought us safe thus far. His grace to us in the past. God's grace to His people, His wayward sheep. It's all over Psalm 23. Leading, feeding, restoring, protecting, pursuing, and more. And elsewhere, King David said that God's grace had brought him safe thus far. If you look at First. Chronicles 17, 2 Samuel 7, you'll see the announcement of the Davidic covenant. God promises a dynasty to David. And as David takes that in, he says, what I believe we read for our call to worship, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? David knew that God's grace had been carrying him all the way to this point, thus far, and if God's grace is big enough to preserve a covenant king and a covenant people 3,000 years ago, then it's big enough to preserve his covenant people today, isn't it? By God's grace, we see that grace in our lives. How do we see it? How do we see that preserving grace in our city, in our church? Well, one, by God's grace, our city is home to over 80 Christian nonprofit ministries. Some of our members work for them, for some of these para-church alongside the church ministries. Surely that is a blessing to us and to the broader community. Secondly, by God's grace, there are fun things to do here. Starting with Garden of the Gods. Now, for the record, I am slightly uncomfortable whenever I say that name because there is one God, and He created the Garden of the Gods, Right? But there's also an amazing zoo, there's Pikes Peak, there's hiking, there's parks. We have the best ski resorts close by. We have many blessings and we should be thankful for them. C.S. Lewis said in mere Christianity, I must take care never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings. Even if, he goes on to say at this point, I'm paraphrasing, even if they're a copy or an echo of the true reality, the ultimate things. There are other Christians. There are earthly blessings, fun things. There's also great strategic potential in this city. What do I mean? I got this from Jimmy Covey, who ministered to cadets at the Air Force Academy for 40 years. We are two miles from the north gate of the academy, a top-flight university that trains Air Force officers. And if we have the privilege, the opportunity to disciple those future officers, then we are essentially doing this. We are training up missionaries whom the Department of Defense will pay to travel the world. Amen? (laughs) It's a great location. It's a strategic location. And for the sake of time, I'll only mention one more way that God has been gracious to us thus far in the past. We survived COVID. Maybe we even thrived. And by the way, I would add a so far. I know it's not totally over yet. I'm also, of course, violating the first rule of COVID. We don't talk about COVID. No, no, no. We don't talk about COVID. This is not a lament. My point is, it could have been much worse. Reminds me of Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say... If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, it could have been much worse. And praise the Lord in all that, in all this, we somehow launched a church plant, which is averaging over 100 in attendance, welcoming 80 charter members later today. And the combined attendance, by the way, of Waypoint and Forest Gate is higher than Forest Gate's attendance was before 2020. Praise the Lord for that as well. By God's grace, we live in a place with other Christians, with fun stuff to do, near an elite university with international influence, and we've been blessed despite great hardship. To borrow from David, once again, we have been redeemed out of every adversity. 2 Samuel 4, God's grace has brought us safe thus far. Praise the Lord for that. Why else is it great to be at Forest Gate? Well, secondly... Because His grace, our hope secures. His grace, our hope secures. We've talked about His grace in the past. Now let's talk about His grace to us in the present. Fourth verse of amazing grace, it says, The Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope, secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Now Newton said, His word, my hope secures. But surely His word is full of His grace as well, right? His gracious promises to us. And I think that verse, it's really about present hope based on future promises. Now, I'm only going to mention three ways that we see God's grace in our present. The first one, call it 2A. We see the contrast to the world around us. Wait a minute, is is, is that good news? I think it is. God's people are called to be a light in the darkness, a peculiar people, distinct, holy, set apart. And simply, Christians stick out more today. I I mostly grew up in the Bible Belt back when cultural Christianity was more prominent. Now, were there negatives about that? Yes, that's for another time. Same time, lest you think I'm all negative about that, did I also know many godly people who lived a simple life, worked hard, served in their church taught their children the Bible. Yes, praise the Lord. I saw a lot of that as well. Cultural Christianity has had some good, some bad benefits. One of the good, there was an expected set of moral values that we shared in common. Fast forward to today. Wherever you live, I think, there is less and less cultural Christianity. Fewer people belong to a church. Or attend church on a regular basis. There are more and more, read any newspaper, you'll see this over time. There are more and more people in the USA who are nuns. You know what that term means? Those who declare no religious affiliation. They don't check any of those boxes. Why is that good? Because there is less confusion and more clarity about where people stand. Most people don't come to church unless they want to. I would say especially here in this state. Which should make us want to sing this hymn even more. We long to see your churches full. That all the chosen race may with one heart and soul and voice sing your redeeming grace. The way Ligon Duncan, the Chancellor of one of my seminaries once said, one of the places I graduated from, he said, Rejoice, the world has turned against you. He gave a talk titled that once, Rejoice, the world has turned against you. It helps to clarify our goals, our mission, our audience. How else is God showing us his grace right now at Forest Gate? Related to the previous point, 2B, we're in the perfect place for a bunch of transplants, to establish a counterculture. Perfect place for a bunch of transplants to establish a counterculture. Christians are supposed to be counter-cultural and now that the world is less and less Christian there should be more clarity about our calling to be salt and light in the midst of a dark decaying dying world. And you know most of us, myself included, weren't born in Colorado I think I know one, maybe two, maybe I could get as high as five or ten adult members of Forest Gate who were born in this town or even this state and have lived here most of their life. That's not good. That's not bad. That just is. And God has brought us here to a place that prizes its freedom, and we can use that freedom to do whatever is right in our own eyes. We certainly see that in plenty of corners. Maybe we don't see it enough in here. Or we can use that freedom to be what God has always called us to be. We are different than the world around us, especially in Colorado. And we need to humbly own that difference as we serve the community around us. Past two weeks, many many of us have been reading about, probably discussing a certain Supreme Court case, this leaked opinion likely to be the majority opinion in the Dobbs v. Mississippi case that may mark the end of Roe v. Wade. And we should not be afraid to be happy about that, assuming that it becomes final. If that decision leads to fewer abortions, fewer babies being killed before birth, and that is a good thing, we should give thanks for that. Will a law change Hearts and minds. No, of course not. Not by itself. But we should pray and work for that as well. And critics might also say, uh, if we were really pro-life, we'd also care about other things too. And amen. What things? Things like adoption, foster care, financially and tangibly supporting places like gospel homes for women. Yes, all of those things. Now, let's be clear. We aren't perfect And we should be aware of pride at all times. But I am glad to see this church doing tangible things like the ones I just named to help mothers and children in crisis, as Life Network does as well. Speaking of them, their president, Rich Bennett, wrote this. I believe I shared some of it a few weeks ago. He wrote this after Colorado passed a law that permits abortion until the moment of birth. He said... If in the weeks ahead, Roe v. Wade is overturned by the Dobbs case. Again, that was weeks ago. We will celebrate, he said. But then it will also likely mean that more women than ever will be seeking abortions in Colorado, crossing state borders to do so. Rest assured that with your help, we will be there to offer compassionate, pro-woman, pro-life solutions. We might add that they recently opened another... Crisis Pregnancy Center or whatever the proper name is on the south end of town. Why do I mention all that? Simply put, there's a contrast between us and the world around us. Don't despise it. Rejoice in it. Don't panic. Persuade your neighbors that God's way, His gospel are more more beautiful, more true, more excellent. There's a contrast. And there's a great opportunity For transplants like us, to establish a counterculture for Christ, leads me to the final way God is being gracious to us. There's a constant need for missionary activity. Call this 2C. There's a constant need for missionary activity across the street and around the world. Is that a challenge? Yes. But I believe it's also God being gracious to us. Because this is always how the church was supposed to see herself. That we are on mission to glorify God and make disciples of Christ. To strengthen the disciples who are already here to seek out new disciples. And those aren't competing priorities. Those are simply two sides of the same coin. How do we disciple our children? Did any of you hear last week in Adult Sunday School, Pastor Stephen's comments about what the middle schoolers were, were asking during their recent retreat? Many were asking questions about... The issues of the sexual revolution that are smacking them in the face at school and elsewhere, and not necessarily from teachers, administrators indoctrinating them. No, just from their friends, acquaintances, who are struggling with all of those things. The way we disciple our children is by building them up in the face, the faith, the faith once for all, delivered to the saints. So that they might know how to be good friends, neighbors, students, citizens in a rapidly changing secular culture. And if we do that, that they will understand that they're different from the world around them. Disliked, despised, maybe, probably. But if they are grounded in all that, then we may begin to see those who are hurting, those who are confused coming closer to them. Coming closer closer to our church not automatic not instantaneous but my point in all this is we cannot divorce discipleship and evangelism at the same time we need to take our duty to educate and disciple our children seriously and we also need to take comfort in the vows that we take during an infant baptism parents your church has agreed to assist you in the Christian nurture of your children. My friend Rob once said the following. He said it to a friend of his who his wife uh, his, his, his wife and he, they were not able to have children. At least they were not able to have them yet. And they were lamenting that fact. Obviously a very hard thing for those who long to have children and can't. But my friend Rob said this, you know, we are all... Raising children in a covenant family, you have a role to play in all of this if we need your help. We, God's people, we're a contrast people. We're a peculiar people. And transplants like us are in a perfect place to establish a counterculture so that we might see the constant need for missions across the street and around the world's Transplants like us whose citizenship is not in Colorado Springs, not in Monument, but is ultimately in heaven. Now is all that encouraging to us or is that, that's a lot of work? If it's not encouraging, maybe we need to remember who has given us this task at this time and place. Isn't it our good shepherd, the one who feeds me, who restores my soul? who leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, the one who is with me as I walk in the valley of deep darkness, the one who helps me not to fear, the one whose rod and staff comfort me, the the staff to nudge me or jerk me back into the right path, the rod to beat the snot out of the lions and tigers and bears who would threaten me, the, the predators who would harm me or my church, the one who promises the kind of mercy, or as the footnote says, steadfast love, hesed, that doesn't just passively follow, but actively pursues a wretch like me. If that is the one who's with me, then shouldn't I feel his overflowing grace, overflowing on my head, making my cup to run over. If that God kept David safe as Saul pursued him, Then can't he keep me safe when friends, neighbors, others shun me, make fun of me, or worse? Can't I see in all that that his grace, my hope, secures? That gives me hope and security and it gives it to me right now. Why else is it great to be at Forest Gate? Well, thirdly and finally, because his grace will lead us home. His grace will lead us home. Newton's third verse sounds like something David might have written. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. What are your dangers, toils, and snares? Through what have you already come? What do you picture when you think of the valley of the shadow of death? John Newton had already gone through it, some of it his own making. And so it made him confident that God would lead him home, that by God's grace he would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, with all that we've been through, collectively or individually, with all that we've been through, we should expect God to be gracious to us. We should expect great things from God, as William Carey said. Can I predict all the ways that God will be gracious to us in the next year or more? Sorry, I'm not a prophet. or the son of a prophet. But I can share with you some things I see that make me cautiously optimistic. How will God's grace lead us home? I can think of a few ways. How might God bless us? Number one, Matt will be more energetic in the fall. You may not think I need to be more energetic, but I... <laughs> But I trust that I will be a better version of myself this fall. Secondly, we can expect more Psalm 1 ministry in the next year. More prospering, slowly and steadily. Not withering. Psalm 1 was the text for our State of the Church sermon last year. We will be like a tree. We will bear our fruit in season. Winter will not win. Will any of that change? Why will any of that change? And I'm also delighted to see what, what God has done in us and through us in this past year. A sampling. There's probably some important things I'll leave out, but our Christian education team restarted Sunday school. We added the sword Fighters Scripture Memory Ministry. Our koinonia, our fellowship team, helped us to begin to get to know each other once again. Our youth group has grown numerically and spiritually. Many of them are serving on the tech or worship teams. Our men's ministry, new leadership, new energy, same old menu for men's breakfast, just the way we like it, amen? Pancakes and sausage forever. Our greeters, going steady, and Pastor Kirk created what we call the hospitality network to help in the follow-up process. Our engagement ministry team, a new one as their second event tomorrow. We were talking about it a minute ago. Women's ministry, world missions, communications team, many others continue to work hard. Many of them haven't missed a beat despite all the chaos of the past two years. Our staff has reestablished ministry team leader training. That's been a good thing. We'll be holding the ministry fair in late August. That's a chance for you to get to know the different ways that you can serve in the life of this church, the other ministries that are going on. We're going to do that during the Sunday school hour in late August. First time in three years we've been able to do the ministry fair, praise the Lord. In our staff meetings, someone's suggestion one day that I had the good sense to listen to, we've begun to have topical meetings every other week to tackle a pressing, time-consuming issue. We are continuing to raise up new leaders, be it elders, deacons, deacon assistants, or others. God is good. Every indication is that he will continue to be good to us. What else? What else should we expect? What other great things should we expect from God? I would expect there to be more opportunities for lay leadership in our church because of staff transition or any another number of things. In other words, we will need your help. Be patient. Be ready. Let us know that you're available. When new members go through the Welcome to Forest Gate class, they fill out a form. I'm doing it this way, but it's mostly an online form. Where do you want to serve is one of the questions we ask. One of our newest members said this, I'd like to serve in that place that nobody else wants to serve and that you have a need. Amen. Give me 50 more of those and we can have a bona fide revival, folks. <laughs> I expect, as well, more relationships to form. Past month, I've talked to three pastors, three different pastors, three different parts of town, three different sized churches. All of them said the same thing in different ways. Re-establishing community is a huge need. Some people are complaining about it. In a brand new church, it's not that they can't break into the the groups. It's, it's, It's brand new. Everybody's getting to know each other. Still, people are saying this. Their pastor said, okay, let me help you understand how you can better connect with people. Let me equip you to do that because all of us are dealing with this. And I'd say the same goes for us. And we need to be patient with each other and let this develop little stat for you, 50% of our church is new to our church in the last five years. 20% are new in the past two years. Let's be patient. Let's work together. Let's trust that God's people, led by God's Spirit, will get through this together. I also expect that God will give us our daily bread, will lead us to green pastures, that he will give us whatever we need for life in godliness as individuals and as a church as well. That's what I expect. What am I dreaming about? This is how I outline things. You know, I think through what we can expect, and then I think through what can we dream about. Ephesians 3 verse 20, this isn't in my notes, and so I'll quote it imperfectly unless I flip there. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. According to the power at work within us. What are the things you think about, you dream about, you hope God might do? You know, I could list some things. More building space, classrooms, a fellowship hall, more offices for staff. I could talk about things like that and others. We did have plans for that before COVID hit in the middle of phase one of our capital campaign, which God's people still gave very generously to, I might add. But you know, I have a feeling it is not only pastors who are tempted to take pride in things like big numbers and big buildings. So let me share from a little book called Zeal Without Burnout, a book I might reread on my sabbatical. It talks at the end about how pride, the pursuit of success, can lead to burnout. And it quotes J.C. Ryle saying, Let it never be forgotten that the time of success is a time of danger to the Christian soul. Few men are like Samson and can kill a lion without telling others of it. Most of Christ's laborers probably have as much success as their souls can bear. Most of Christ's laborers probably have as much success as their souls can bear. My question to you, is that true of churches too? The most churches probably have as much success as their souls can handle. Will you pray about that with me while I'm on sabbatical? Would you pray as well that God would give us as much success and gospel fruitfulness as our souls can handle? And that every time we taste success, every time we are able to say, that sheep, that person, that son of mine was lost but now is found. He was dead but he is alive again. For every time that we're able to taste that joy and success, would you pray that God would help us to grow as well in humility and in gratitude to our God that we would remember at those moments I am a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. And if we are successful, God's grace is what will give us success, not our own excellence, not our own hard work. And the comfort here is that God's grace will lead us home through the next challenge and the next. Jim Elliott once said, wherever you are, be all there. It has been a joy to be all here at Forest Gate. And after a break, I look forward to being all here once again. It's been great to be at Forest Gate for the past seven years. And I fully expect the next seven years and more, Lord willing, to be great as well. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for any success you've given us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the humility that you have brought us to as well. Father, help us to know that we're great sinners, that Christ is a great Savior. And may that echo out in all of our lives. May it be truly attractive to others, like a magnet drawing them in, that they might know this amazing Savior that has been gracious to wretches like me, train wrecks like me. Father, be good to us. Show us your grace and give us the confidence that your grace will lead us home. We pray all this in Jesus' great name. Amen.